I would like to give thanks to the ancestors, known and unknown, those who have paved the way for us to survive this moment of time and to have a reference point to use as a blueprint to deal with these hellish times we are living in. I would also like to give honor and reverence to the woman of the universe for your superior work, for bringing forth the spiritual information through the triple stage of darkness of your womb and giving birth to God. We would like to give reverence to the universe and praises to the indigenous. My name is Raheem Shabazz and this is Necessary Blackness Podcast. Necessary Blackness Podcast, every Wednesday at 6 p.m. with award-winning journalist and filmmaker Raheem Shabazz. This podcast is only for those who are unapologetic because the mind of the conscious man or woman recognizes no monopoly on truth. Truth is relative and always to be sought. Award-winning producer Raheem Shabazz continues the Elementary Genocide documentary series with the School to Prison Pipeline. That film exposes the social engineering done to African-American children in the school system. And his other film, Elementary Genocide 2, The Board of Education versus The Board of Incarceration, takes an even deeper look at the history of the American school system and how it was made to justify subjugating black Americans. These films are on track to be the most discussed films in black America. These films feature people like Dr. Boyce Watkins, Dr. Francis Kretz Welsing, and many, many more. The documentary is available right now at elementarygenocide.com. That's elementarygenocide.com. Hey, Atlanta. Have you heard? True Laundry Detergent is now offering free shipping in the Atlanta area. Just text the word TRUE to 404-493-0523 or give us a call. That's 404-493-0523. True Detergent is four times concentrated and perfect for those HE washers. Just one ounce removes dirt, brightens fabrics, and leaves each load with a clean, fresh, sense. Best of all, True contains no animal products and it's safe for sensitive skin. Follow us on social media, True Detergent ATL. Peace and power, Black family. This is your host, Raheem Shabazz, and we are here for another episode of Necessary Blackness Podcast. And today we have a special guest in the building. Her name is Brandy Davis, and she has a memoir out called The High Price I Had to Pay For, a product of the game, sentenced to 10 years as a nonviolent offender. Although the United States of America consists of 5% of the world's population, it houses over 25% of the world's prison population. With close to 2 million Americans behind bars, the faces of the United States prison population has dramatically changed. Jail cells are no longer inhibited by just men. Today, there's a major increase of female offenders sweeping across the nation. The true story of judicial justice often remains untold. The Price I Had to Pay, Volume 4, is a captivating real-life story about the travels of Brandy Davis, a young single mother who entered the drug game after the sudden death of her child's father, a notorious drug dealer, as the girlfriend of a well-known member of the infamous Black Mafia family. 
Davis was showered with a lavish lifestyle that she was unwilling to give up so easily. Feeling as though her back was against the wall to determine to stay afloat, she accepted an invitation to enter the drug game. As the daughter of a legendary hustler, Davis was no novice to street life. She quickly integrated her business savvy and prominent drug connection, skyrocketing to the top of the drug underworld in her arena. All was well until she was set up. With the help of a few informants, her empire swiftly came crumbling down, landing her a 10-year bid in federal prison. This cautionary tale reveals the shocking truth of those who enter the drug game in America and the harsh penalties they face and a decade-plus sentence necessary to punish a young mother who became a product of the game. Or is there a better way to level the scales of justice in America? You be the judge. So with that said, ladies and gentlemen, we are going to give a welcome to Brandy Davis. Thanks for having me on the Necessary Blackness podcast. All right, we're going to get right into it. We're not going to waste no time. Now, your book is a memoir. It's a cautionary tale of a true life story. Tell me, what was the inspiration behind the book and ultimately what impact you would like it to have on your reading audience? The purpose of me writing my book was to bring awareness to the young girls that's out here today. Um, I myself, I grew up in a middle class suburban household. I went to private school. My parents did everything for me, for me to live a good, productive life. But as I got older, I found out that my dad was a street hustler. So for me, that side of that, uh, that side of the track kind of, I was infatuated with it, maybe more so due to curiosity. You know, I seen the things that my daddy provided for us and the things that he did for us. So I kind of got caught up in that lifestyle. So nowadays, or me just being in prison, I seen so many young girls come in prison that was in jail because of a man. And a lot of things we don't realize when we out there, you know, it's the glitz and the glamour, but we never look at the end result if something was to happen. So basically I just wanted to send a message out to girls so they wouldn't follow the same footsteps that I followed in because me going to prison had a lot to do with the type of men that I had in my life. So it was just a message for women to be independent you know, stand on their own and kind of steer away from that lifestyle. Now, when we speak about prison or even the term prison, the first thing that comes to mind is a male. Very seldom do we hear stories of females going to prison and the ramification that it has on females. When you went to prison, you had a son. And what was that like, you know, being away from your family, especially your son, and how was you able to overcome that and bond back with your son once you was released from prison? Well, when I went to prison, um, my son was just turning three years old. Prior to that, I had lost my son's father when he was nine months. So I was, I've been a single mother since my son was nine months. And I always said to myself when he lost his dad, like I was going to try to do everything that I could to be able to provide a good life for him because it was just me. So when I had to leave him and all he had was me, it was very heartbreaking. You know, thank God I had my parents, you know, so I was able to leave him with somebody that I trusted. But the whole 
thing for me was I knew I had so much time to do. In the back of my mind, my thought was like, is he going to remember me? Is he going to have animosity towards me? Is he going to harbor anger? I didn't know because it's just 10 years just seemed so far down the line. So my thing that I did was just try to stay in constant communication with him. You know, when I was gone, we had visits, you know, we kept our bond strength and like that. But it still pondered on my mind. How was he going to feel when I came home? You know, and he was older. But, you know, I try to talk to my son about it. He do- he doesn't want to talk about it. So I leave that conversation alone till he's ready to talk. But a lot of people who see us interacting everything today, they don't even they wouldn't even know that I was gone for that long period of time. So as a parent, you know, I like I said, I just stayed in constant communication with him. I'll send him things that girls made in prison, you know, just to show him, you know, that, you know, I still love him, even though, you know, we were separated. But in prison, it was a lot of girls who never seen their kids or never got any type of visit. So that was very humbling to me. At the time, because I was thankful that I did have family members that was able to bring my kids along because it was girls locked up five, six years and haven't seen their kids in that whole period of time. So for me, it was hurtful that I had to leave them. But at the same time, I was thankful that I was able to have a relationship with them while I was gone. Now, most people that been incarcerated and they write books, they wrote their book while they was behind enemy lines. Was that the case with you? Was you more creative while you was behind enemy lines and you wrote the book? And then when you came out, you actually published it? Yes. Actually, I met a girl in prison. Her name was Jamila Davis. We were in a um, program called RDAP together. It's a drug program you go through to get um, a year off your sentence for those who qualify. So when I met her, we kind of like just clicked. You know, we got the same kind of personality. So when we started talking and getting to know each other, you know, I told her about my story and once we got to know, like, start talking about things, she was like, yo, you need to write a story. Like, your story is amazing. Like, you don't look like what you've been through. So, actually, my book is part four of her series. She has part one, two, and three, and I'm part four. So, what we did, um, it was probably, like, the last month before I got released from prison, we got together and we, um, we did my book. And that's how my book came along. Like, I always thought that maybe my story was a nor- the norm, nothing special about my life because I, I was born and raised in Detroit. Detroit is a hustling town. So I had so many friends of mine that were men go to prison. I held them down from the outside. I never knew what it was like to be in the inside myself. So we start talking and we, we compiled the book and my book is all the way up to the night before I got released. So for me, her helping me do that, it was kind of therapy for me because I was able to speak about a lot of things that I had on my mind and I never talked about, you know, re- release a lot of emotions that I had harbored inside. So for me, me writing this book was kind of like therapy to me. So it was beneficial to me and hopefully it'd be beneficial to others as well. What was the most challenging aspect of writing this book? The most challenging aspect about writing this book, it was just reliving some of the things that I've been through in my life. You know, I lost my son's father. I spoke in regards to that um, while I was incarcerated. I also lost my father. So me reliving those moments that, you know, that I kind of tried to push behind me, it was hard. It was challenging. But like I said, it was also kind of like therapy because I was able to release a lot of emotions. But 
just going back to some of the things that I've been through in life, you know, it bring back a lot of memories, you know, me leaving my son, you know, just a lot of things that happened in my life. And I'm not the type of person who expresses my emotions. So to be able to open up like that, it was it was kind of challenging for me. I was reading the prologue for the book and it talks about a situation where you felt real bad because your father wound up getting arrested, I guess, on charges that had to do with you. And he passed away while he was in prison and you didn't get the opportunity to tell him how sorry you are. Could you talk a little bit about that? Yes. Um, my co-defendant was a guy that I was dating. So when I first caught my case, it was basically me by myself. So I kind of took the charge on my own to kind of protect my family and friends that was around me. So my father got indicted almost a year after I got indicted with a couple other friends of mine. And I felt really bad because the guy I was dating ended up turning over um, and being an informant. So my dad at the time was 66 years old, 65, 66 years old with an indictment facing a long time in prison. So I've always carried around that guilt on my shoulders. It's like I had a chip on my shoulders in regards to that because it's like I felt like I was to blame for my father going to prison and it really was nothing I can do about it. Um, while incarcerated, my father ended up having dementia and he ended up getting real sick and eventually got the compassionate release um, due to his um, ill and health. And um, he ended up passing away six months after he got home. But the crazy part about it is we had just got video visits in federal prison. So when he came home, that was I was able to interact with him for the first time, you know, face to face. So I seen him deteriorate basically in front of my eyes. And just so happened I had a video visit on the day, this particular day, and he wasn't doing well. And it was only two days since I last seen him. And he was just like non-responsive, you know, in a bed because he ended up going being at home on hospice. And, you know, it really threw me off. But he had all his kids there, his grandkids, my mom, his wife, everybody was there. and. Five minutes or eight minutes, I'm not quite sure because it's kind of fuzzy, until my video visit, my dad passed away. And it was like he was waiting on me to get on that computer on video visit. And he passed away with everybody that he loved and cared about. So I was never, ever able to really apologize or see how he felt. He used to always tell me he wasn't mad. This is even before, you know, he ended up um, losing, you know, his memory, but... I seen my dad pass away when I was in prison. They wouldn't let me go to his funeral. Before he even passed away, I was trying to get a pass to get a bedside visit. You know, I could see my father. So I was never able to do those things with my family. I wasn't there to be there for my son or my mom, you know, through such a tragic moment. And I still carry that burden around to this day. This book is filled with shock and truth. There's going to be several young ladies that's going to read this book, what do you hope that they take away after reading this book? What life lessons can they learn? I want them to learn how to love themselves and don't depend on a man for nothing. You know, if if you're involved in a man and he's doing his own thing or you have suspicion that he's doing things that can get you caught up and get you in trouble, go the other way. Because 
it's not worth it. It's not worth the risk. It's not worth you leaving your kids. It's not worth you losing your life. If you read the book, you know, my son, father was part of a a well-known organization and I got caught up in that lifestyle. We used to party, travel, do everything. I lived in a big house. I drive fancy cars. I had jewelry. I had clothes. I had everything that you can possibly imagine. But when he got arrested and went to jail, I lost everything at the same time as well. And me trying to keep up with that lifestyle is what ended up giving me 10 years in prison. And it's not worth it. You know, it's like I, I, I'm trying to start a movement. Like my Instagram name is at Free Pretty Girls. And at first it started at at Free Pretty Girls because I used to post pictures in prison of me and my girlfriends, you know, in prison, like free us, free the girls, like, cause we people too. But now it's like, it didn't transpire to something more like free pretty girls just mean be free from all negativity, be able to stand on your own. Don't depend on nobody for nothing. You know, have your own mind, you know, follow your own dreams and goals. Because if you living in somebody else's shadow, when they fall, you going to fall too. And at the end of the day, when you fall, you're going to really see who got your back. Because everybody that's in your face when you got everything, not going to be around when you don't have nothing. This is really a compelling book. There are several different chapters. One of the chapters is called All About the Benjamin. Another chapter is called When It All Goes Down. And then there's that chapter called The Double Cross. Tell us about The Double Cross. Well, the double cross for me was I had a girl around. I don't want to just give you all the details of the book, so I'm going to try to, you know, yeah, edit, it. edit it out a little bit. But um, I had a girlfriend that I was friends with for a very long time. Actually, she was my son's godmother. And she wanted to get involved in that life, and I told her not to. You know, she wanted to traffic drugs back and forth from Chicago to make a couple extra dollars or whatever. And I told her I don't think that was a smart thing for her to do. But she was grown. So she made that decision on her own, but she ended up telling on me, you know, the guy that I it was dating ended up telling on me. So I just felt like everybody who I had in my circle that I thought really cared about me only looked out for themselves at the end. They, they threw me under the bus and they railroaded me to be able to get a lesser charge for themselves. That's why I say everything is good when the money coming in or everything is good when everybody eating and it's no problems. But when the stuff hit the fan, you really going to see who really had your best intentions at heart or who really care about you. Because when they hanging numbers over your head, like 20 years, 10 years, people start thinking about their own families. They don't care about you having a kid or you being a single mama. They thinking about their families and them leaving their kids. So they going to do whatever they got to do to look out for them, even if it's throwing you under the bus and getting you football numbers. So you just got to be careful with the company you keep. You know, and at the people that's around you, because at the end of the day, like I said, when it's all good, it's all good. But when it's all bad, you're going to see who really is in your corner. Ladies and gentlemen, when you see this book, the cover of the book is, this is a real nice cover, by the way. But the cover of the book, it has a picture of her with her federal ID and uh, her inmate federal ID. And this book is very good. And I encourage everyone to go out and get it. Make sure you support this sister because you can take this book and you can give it to someone else after you read it. And we need to have individual that has skin in the game that went through the trials and tribulations so that we don't have to go through these trials and tribulations. Our kids don't have to go through these trials and tribulations. And I want to thank you for being here. But before we go, I want you to let everybody know what your social media handles is and where they can go and purchase this book. 
My um, Instagram name is at Free Pretty Girls. I'm on Facebook under Brandy Davis. Um, my book is available on Amazon and BarnesandNobles.com. And you can go to Vo- Voices International Publications website, and it's also on there too. It's not in bookstores yet. You know, I'm just starting up on everything, but I will post things on my social media pages as well, you know, to update you on the status of that. But right now you can go on Amazon and Barnes and Nobles or Voice International Publications. All right. I got one more question. I might have two more questions. I know you got to run. I know you have to get out of here. Most people have a warped view of what this lifestyle is really about. You know, they watch music videos. They may see a documentary on someone that was living a life. And a lot of people don't know, once you live that type of life and you're used to living a certain type of lifestyle, it's really hard to adapt to being a returning citizen, a civilian, working a nine to five, you know, doing things that regular folks do, you know, instead of first class, you're now sitting in coach. Can can you tell us how was you able to uh, adopt being back into society and without revealing where you work at or anything that you don't want to personally, what is your daily regimen right now? Well, for me, Adapting for me was kind of more so, see, I'm a hustler at heart. So I knew in prison, I kind of set things up for me. Like I set goals for myself and things that I wanted to accomplish when I got home. So that wasn't really a challenge for me because I was able to work on those things when I was gone. The biggest challenge for me was coming home and my father not being there. My father was always the backbone of the family. Like I knew regardless of what I went through in life, if I was with a man and he wanted to put me out, I know I had a place to go to. You know, if I if I needed a bill paid and I ain't had the money to pay, I know who was going to pay it. So for me, me going home without him, it was scary because I always had him in my life. So it was a challenge, but I had a son. I'm a single mom. I had a son that was dependent on me, so I knew I had to get out and hustle. I had my book thing going on, and God blessed me with a good job. You know, I worked. Six days out the week sometimes, but I moved up in the ladders of my job. Like now I'm a, I'm a manager, a supervisor of a whole department. So my day-to-day thing is just getting up in the morning when my son was in school, getting him ready for school, you know, me getting ready for work, me coming home from work, taking him to basketball, football, coming home, cooking dinner. Even though like my day is so consumed and I really don't get to sit down until nine o'clock and take a breather, I enjoy these moments because I missed out on so much. You know, it's like I ran the streets for so long since I was about 14, 15 years old. So me just coming home and cooking dinner and sitting on my couch watching TV is really refreshing to me. Like I'll enjoy doing that. I don't go to the clubs no more like that. Um, My going out might be a a dinner date with my girls, you know, and me being home at 11 o'clock. Like my son is so used to this routine. If he see me getting dressed about to go somewhere, he'd be like, where are you going? Or what time you coming home? You know, so. I enjoy those moments. Like on the weekends, my son has games. So I enjoy going to support my son at his games. It's like I missed out on so much. And I really didn't appreciate being a mom until I wasn't able to be one. I know that you did 10 years in jail. How many years it been since you've been home? Actually, it just made um, one year I've been home on May 3rd. I just got home. My year anniversary was May the 3rd. Wow. You know, sitting here... I would think that you've probably been home three to five years with everything that you told me, getting your son straight and in school. And 
raise, r- rising up in the corporate world. Now, they usually say that the average person, if he's going to remain on the street, you'll know after three to five years because more than 70% of the people actually goes back in jail within three to five years. You seem like you got your head on your shoulders. Welcome home. Stay out here. I know what it is being behind enemy lines. Um, I actually have 17 years that I've been home. I came home January 13th, the year 2000, and um, it, it wasn't easy in the beginning, you know, the first couple of months. I mean, I want to say the first six months, but after the first six months, it was like, you know, all right, I'm here, never going back. And, you know, I, I, I live by that code, you know, I'm no longer a, um, a part of the underworld no more. And it's a beautiful thing, you know, and and that's another thing, you know, when you come out of jail, the cards are stacked against you. You can't, you can't let that deter you. Now, being an ex-felon or having a felony on your record, did that hinder you in certain aspects of getting a job or the job that you got? Do they understand your past history or did you get the job through nepotism? Well, I got the job. And they knew and they gave me a shot, you know, but I like I like medical field. I like to I got my degree in mortuary science. So for me, medical things is my thing. Now, I can go work at a funeral home. Yeah, I can. But it's like a lot of funeral homes here are like family oriented. So it's hard to like kind of maneuver in there. But I can't get a job at the hospital because I have a drug case. And they don't allow that. So my felony has set me back a little bit as far as job search. But like I said, I was blessed to be able to have a job, you know, when I first got home. The job that I'm at now is the job I had when I was in the halfway house. So, you know, that was a blessing. A lot of people don't get that chance because I see a lot of people I came home with and they struggling to still try to, you know, maneuver and get a stable job. But I made up in my mind that I'm not going to let this situation hold me back. You know, I'm going to use this negative and I'm going to turn it into a positive because I wasn't going to sit and dwell and want self-pity or people to feel sorry for me. It's like it is what it is. I embraced it. Like, yeah, I, I went to prison. Yeah, I came home. Yeah, but this is who the person this is the person I am today. So for those who are going through that or have been to prison, don't let that deter you from being what you want to be in life because there's so much stuff going on out there. And. You might think people look at you a certain way, but you don't know until you give it a shot. All right, Brandy, she has to leave, but we definitely enjoy your conversation. And I hope everybody within the earshot of this podcast that listens to this podcast, I want you to send this podcast to those that you think that it will impact and keep supporting us here at Necessary Blackness Podcast. And once again, thank you for joining us. And real quickly, give out your social media again and let everybody know where they can go and get this book. Once again, my Instagram name is at Free Pretty Girls. On Facebook, I'm under Brandy Davis. Um, my book is available on Amazon.com. BarnesandNobles.com, or you can go to Voices International Publications as well, and you can get the book from there. And thank you guys for your support. And thanks for having me. Persons interested in broadcasting a commercial can reach us via email at necessaryblacknesspodcast at gmail.com. 
Necessary Blackness is distributed on all major podcast platforms. iTunes, Stitcher, iHeart, SoundCloud, Podomatic, and Google Play. We'll also promote your business and product across our various social media networks, reaching over 100,000 people daily. Tune in for the drop. I am Dr. Kira Taylor. And when I'm tired of listening to fake news, I will listen to some real news and I will check into the Necessary Blackness podcast with my friend Raheem Shabazz. Raheem Shabazz is one of my guys from way back and you're now listening to his show, Necessary Blackness Podcast. Stay tuned. This is a cool up cultivated roots media and I choose to tune into Necessary Blackness because staying connected to my blackness is very necessary. Peace. This is Prince Coach Law, and I stay tuned into Necessary Blackness Podcast with Raheem Shabazz. Peace and power. This is E-Reporting Live and you're tuned in to Necessary Blackness with my boy Raheem Shabazz. Yeah, this is Professor Ed Garns, founder of the wonderful From Afros to Shell Toes and Sweet Tea Ethics. When I am not spreading liberation theology throughout my classrooms as an African-centered therapist, I am chilling with my homie, Raheem Shabazz, on the Necessary Blackness Podcast. It's essential. Hey, what's going on, man? It's Arthur Emma Henry here. Whenever I want to get the latest on politics, social life issues facing our black community, I tune in to Necessary Blackness with Raheem Shabazz. This is Shalee. When I'm not in the gym, I'm checking my son out on his podcast each and every Wednesday at 6 p.m. Make sure you check out Raheem Shabazz. Yo, that's what I'm talking about, man. You'll hear it here first. 